episode 432, Camaraderie, War, and a State of Mind, Garrett Jones. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Hi, I'm Adam Lewis Walker, founder of Awaken Your Alpha, the number one personal leadership podcast that is also a best-selling book, Awaken Your Alpha, Tales and Tactics to Thrive, and also a TEDx talk for how to rise up. You can see a theme here, but please do check these out. If you like the talk, if you like the podcast, you will love the book. The book is the best of the best, and it's available on Amazon. This podcast is brought to you by The Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. How to secure and smash your own TEDx talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talk, X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-O-R.com. Get to the podcast. Okay, this week we have Garrett Jones on the line. He has been deployed on three tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. For his actions in Iraq, Garrett earned the General Officer's Commanding Award for Gallantry. Following Afghanistan, he was selected the elite unit within the battalion. Upon leaving the military, Garant worked to protect commercial shipping against Somali and Nigerian-based piracy. We're going to be talking about camaraderie, war. He's a multiple best-selling author. He's got a book that's coming out around about now, likely when this interview comes out. Firstly, Garant, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? Always ready to awaken my alpha, mate. So I hope I didn't butcher your name as the rest of England has been doing for years. <laughs> but but um, is there anything you'd like to add to that pretty, pretty brief introduction? You've been up to a lot, but what are you all about at the moment? Ah, uh, creating, mate. Um, as cheesy as it sounds, I try and think of myself as a um, storyteller and creator. Do a bit of songwriting. We just had a pretty successful EDM track come out this year. So far, we're up to about half a million streams on that in the last two months. So that's kind of one wow. of the things we've been doing now. And then um, we've got, um, I've got some TV, TV in the works, movie in the works, um, books in the works. Uh, I have the podcast, Veteran State of Mind, which is um, something that I kind of do once a week, get a few recordings done on that, put out two shows a week. So it's just, I, I just like creating stuff, mate. I like come up with new ideas and then seeing them through before I get bored of them and moving on to the next thing. I think that's important. Yeah, that speed of implementation, <laughs> just yeah. getting them out before you get bored. You, yeah. you just remind me, actually, yeah, the first time um, we got connected and come across, to give everyone a bit of sort of background of lifestyle stuff, you were out in California, and I think you had been, you obviously was in lockdown then, and you was in, a, you know, you were DJing in your, in your place. Well, you was, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I was supposed to be doing the tour. I was supposed to be going on tour there and doing a bit of DJing, yeah. but uh, coronavirus yeah. killed everything, didn't it? So there was... Um, yeah, that, that, got, that got the kibosh on. But I just got over that, mate. So thanks for bringing that back up. Now I'm going to do that again. <laughs> I remember you was, you was hoping potentially to stay in uh, America a little bit longer than three months. But, but they yeah, said, they yeah, even they though it was lockdown, me. you had to get out. Yeah. yeah, I love that, mate. It's like, right, so let me get this straight. I'm not allowed, for my own safety, I'm not allowed to go to the beach. It's 200 meters away. But you're okay with me flying halfway around the world. All right, got it. That makes total sense. Just mental. I couldn't believe yeah. it. I told my dad about that this morning. We, we had a little chuckle. But anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> tell us a little bit. Obviously, we've got some of your background there, but tell us a little bit about your origins. I'm sure when you was growing up, you didn't think you'd be in this position, or maybe you did. Where are you originally from? Where are you speaking to us from today? I, I thought I'd be in the army. I hoped I'd get to go on some combat op operations. That happened. I had some books. That happened. What I didn't foresee was that I'd be in my mum's house right now because I'd spend all my fucking money. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> fair to say... Fair to say they did it, like going on free combat deployments did not give me a, uh, 
give me a less reckless attitude than what made me go there in the first place. Um, I've had some fucking good times though. I've <laughs> spent a lot, of, spent a lot of time in the states. Spent a lot of time. Um, spent a lot of time in clubs. Spent a lot of time in Vegas. Those kind of places. And um, yeah, this year, um, I, I know it's obviously tragic as it is for some people. His lockdowns come in at a really good time for me because this year was all about getting myself in. Like, put it this way, I should never be, I should, uh, I should not be living with my mom. Like, the, the money I've earned over the last few years has been pretty good. Um, and I feel like, so 2020 for me was always going to be about uh, regrouping and getting on top. I, so, I'm something like this is like, you know, I make a joke about it, but like, I, I, can, I can afford to joke about it because I've still got a job and, still, and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people come out of the army not knowing how to manage money um, or anything like that. I don't blame the army for it because obviously it's personal responsibility. But at the same time, when you're, when you're living in barracks and you're giving your food, you're giving yeah. your food every day and you're, you just don't understand money. Like you don't. Like in every month when you get and paid, In certain ways, you, uh, in, in their mindset, uh, from their point of view, you don't need to. They want you just focused on being a soldier. Yeah, well, they want you reckless as well because if you're not reckless, you're not going to go and run over the top when there's people shooting at you and try and stab them in the face with a bayonet. Mm. You know, like the, it doesn't mean that not everyone in the army house, you know, there's some people that do, sure. But it does seem to be, we were talking about it on my podcast the other day, like generally guys are bad with their money because we have a very live for the moment mentality. Um, you know, and then there's a lot like, I'm not hard on myself about that because, you know, I did live for the moment. You know, when I was, there, when I was in on these tours, I did always think I was going to be coming home. So when you do, it's then very hard to get out of that. Um, and it probably wasn't only until a couple of years ago when I was like, oh, hopefully I will actually live to old age. Up until that point, I was like, I'm probably going to be dead in my 20s at some point. Wow. Um, so it was just like, you know, it's, um, you just, you know, not, not in a morbid way. It was just like, oh, yeah. well, you know, you take so many chances. You're probably going to, because it wasn't just that, dude. Like when I came back from Iraq, I wrote off three cars in the space of two months because just driving like a fucking yeah i can see why you thought you wouldn't make it yeah if you like say these sort of things are happening it only takes you you hear these stories of someone who does something very unlucky and minor and that's it for them whereas then people like yourself may have just you know rolled the dice quite a bit and you're you're still here but um yeah so so it's just so is that so like yeah that right now mate i'm to be honest i'm really enjoying it as well like uh i'd actually live by choice i'd live with my family anyway because um I loved living in barracks. I love being around other people. Yeah. And as I write on my own, if I, if the, one of the reasons I got problems after my service was because I was isolated. Mm. Um, I, I, I like being around other people. I think we're supposed to be around other people. We're fucking apes. You know, I don't think it's, we're, we're, su- we're supposed <laughs> Some to be. Some of us more of, than others, but yes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, can you see my chest there from there, can you? But uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, but it's one of the things at the moment, you know, I'm really kind of encouraging people every day, trying to get on the phone, FaceTime. So I'm doing as many podcasts as I can at the moment yeah. as well. You know, it's just, you know, it's um, lonely, loneliness can kill you. Um, yeah. like, you know, like, you know, you've got to, got to get on top of it. And, um, but yeah, I feel probably, probably I'm not going to say the happiest I've ever been because that does usually come in Vegas or somewhere like that. But I'm <laughs> certainly at, um, one of the best places, like physically, mentally that I've been for a long time. That's, that's awesome. And I, I agree with, you know, that being around people and stuff, because one of my first times I quit teaching and got into doing stuff online, I had a vital component which was missing, which wasn't particularly talking to people. And quite quickly, my mental health suffered. And yeah. I knew I've got a big gob and I like to speak to people like this. And that's when it was like, oh, podcast. And that kind of like, if you don't like speaking to people, this would be the worst kind of line yeah. to go down. But this yeah. is, I, I need this as well in terms of my m- mental health and speaking to people like yourself. And, and when I spoke to you the first time, actually, you almost had your like California barracks on the beach because I think you was in a house with like- a Yeah, with a bunch of Marines. Yeah. 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 
yeah and we just have everyone come over it's like sometimes you'll come in sometimes there'll be some people sleeping on the couch you're like hey what's up <laughs> you know, it's because it's just someone's friend like it's just like it's open door policy because they don't even lock better not tell anyone where it is but the place, no. we don't even lock the place so you can just be like be like oh i'm out of town but just go to the house it's open just people yeah. just coming in out of the house um it's probably like that around where you live too. i was gonna say it's but, around yeah. here and people probably can yeah. work out where i live <laughs> yeah but it's it's people like so the the podcast thing it's it doesn't even necessarily need to be so the reason i did the, the veteran state of mind podcast was because i knew i wasn't the only one that was missing that kind of like, cause one of the best parts about being in the army is when you're just sitting around and you're just taking piss out of each other and bullshit, mm. you know, and there's a lot of good podcasts out there and interview podcasts and things about the military, but I hadn't really come across any where it was just guys just, just bullshit in and making, you know, take, making fun of each other, moaning, all that kind of stuff. And so what I wanted was like guys that can't be in the studio that they can just plug the headphones in and they can like, so that they, they don't need to be contributing to the story, but it feels like they're there. It feels like they're back in the barracks listening to, other squaddies just take the piss out of each other. I want to touch on um, something you said about the, the, the reckless state of mind. I've never heard anyone put mm. it like that. And I like, you know, I like that angle and, and talk, talking about that, that. It was kind of trained into you that, you know, to be reckless and encouraged. And then obviously maybe it's not so, not so good in the, out of the army, but you know, obviously <clears> we need a piece of that to go for certain things. So what do you, what do you mean, especially around re the reckless state of mind and also your approach to fear and maybe how it's evolved or what is your relationship to fear? So I think you grow up to be reckless. Some people are born more reckless than others. I grew up to be reckless as in a sense of, um, because I, I grew up like, I wasn't, I, I hate to use the word bullied because I think that's like overemphasizing it, but I was certainly picked on. Mm. Big fucking fat kid. <laughs> fat kid, picked on. And it was, so it was like, when I got in the army, it was kind of a chance to prove to people of like, yeah, I'm not scared of things. Yeah, nothing scares me. Yeah, I, I walk up to this IED, it doesn't bother me. All that kind of stuff. Now inside, you might be shitting yourself, but, what you're shitting yourself about even more in my experience was I'd, I'd rather die than have somebody think that was a coward. So that, mm. that's what was more important to me. So that is what kind of made me reckless. And then you kind of get like, you get a bit of a taste for adrenaline, uh, which is um, I have done a lot of drugs and none of them compared to being in combat. Um, but I, again, I think there's a reason that a lot of combat veterans do get into drugs because you are trying to match that intensity of somebody shooting at you, somebody actively trying to kill you. And it's, it's, fucking impossible to it's just impossible to meet but you try and that's why you write off three cars in two months and that's why you know that's why you uh you end up staying awake for five days and partying and all this kind of stuff because you know you're trying to you're trying to get back there so it's um you you have to have a certain disregard for your body as well because you know you knew that it was a chance there was a good chance that your actions were going to get your body torn apart so you almost have to have this kind of disassociated view to it where you know you're okay with the act because if you if you weren't okay with it, you'd never leave the base and go on patrol. You know, you, yeah. you need to be okay and accept the fact that, you know, nasty things can happen to you and, and the reward for those nasty things, you know, it's like everything in life. Our brain has a way of compensating for things, doesn't it? You know? So it's like, Hey, we know there's this terrible chance of things going to happen to you, but on the other hand, we're going to give you a hell of a fucking rush while you're in this danger, you know? So it's like, Oh, okay. I know I might get shot, but that was fucking fun. Could you ever kind of uh, notice they're still physically there and their, their minds changed in terms of their approach that relationship and they can't get the balance right and, and feeling like it's not worth it. You get some lads who I just generally don't think are capable of feeling fear. Mm. You get other guys that are straight up cowards and they wouldn't go, they wouldn't put themselves in danger. Uh, you get other guys who are not cowards, but eventually their mind cracks because they've like, we've, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen that happen. It happens to a good friend of mine. Um, 
something I wrote about in the book, you know, like he just, he's a really good guy, but his body gave out, like his mind basically said to his body, nah, not doing this anymore. Yeah. And his body just wouldn't react. Like, it's just, it was like, it was, it was nuts. I can't even explain it. It's hard to explain in words. That's why I'm, I do a better job of putting things down on paper than I yeah. do in words really. Cause you know what I mean? Um, but, um, uh, it's, it, yeah, it's, everyone reacts differently to it. Some people, some people love it. Cause some, like there are people out there who will say, Oh, anyone that's been in combat would never want to go back. That's absolute bollocks. I was talking to, um, an Australian SAS guy this morning and we were chatting about it and we were like, God, we got, I'm going to have FOMO when the next war's going on. We were, we were both, both agreeing and we'll have FOMO. Yeah. So like, like, we want to be out. And if anything like Afghanistan happened again, we'd probably both join up. You know, I had a lot of friends that were looking into when the whole ISIS thing was happening. I had a lot of friends that were kind of looking into trying to join the Peshmerga and, you know, to, to go and fight ISIS with the Kurdish forces and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's wow. a lot of people that are very much yeah. addicted to it. You need to remember as well that on the private security circuit, there's still thousands and thousands of ex-Americans and Brits and all kinds of different people working on the private security in Iraq now, which is essentially a private military. Yeah. Well, on, on that note, and I know we were talking about briefly on finances and stuff, when you're in the military and, you know, you get paid a kind of a certain wage, then when you flip over, I'm not in that world, so I don't know, but you, the kind of the, the perception is that is when you come out and private security and more like that mercenary, that that's very well paid. I mean, is that true generally? Or? I, I started on five, as a team leader, I started on 500 bucks a day. Um, and you're not paying tax because you're out of the country most of the year. And like most, like while, while you're away, you're obviously stacking that money up. Yeah. Um, but look, man, like at the time I thought I was crazy money. Now I know a bit more about the world and I've got, you know, I've got friends that are coming out of like doing an MBA that are going straight into a 160 grand a year job at the lowest position in the company. So yeah. really when you get, once you get out in the world, you're like, fuck. It's not much money. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's a lot of money to what you've got to, like, compared to a Lance Corporal, it's a lot of money. Um, I, I was like, when this lockdown happened, I was, I was like, fuck, I, I love traveling. So how can I do some traveling? I thought maybe it's time to do some more security work. So I looked, <laughs> so I looked into um, one of the jobs and the guy was like, yeah, you get like 2,800. And I'm like, oh, 2,800 a week. Oh, that's less than it used to be. He's like, no, 2,800 a month. So like, yeah, no, no thanks, mate. <laughs> Whoa, 2,800 yeah. a month. Yeah, for the, doing ship security. So, Whoa. yeah, because yeah, he was like, yeah, the money's getting good again. Because it had gone to less than that. I dropped wow. from 500 to 160 in like a couple of months, which is why I stopped doing it. It's also addicted to um, just being around the groups of people and doing the job, which is quite, I mean, if you want to talk about alpha jobs, it's one of the, like, having a gun in your hand and driving around with your, with your mates. Pretty fucking alpha, you know? Yeah, blimey. Was there a point when you thought you'd be in the military the whole way, like, Lockstock, I wanted to, I wanted it. to originally, yeah, I wanted to originally in the nineties. Um, but that was back in the days where there wasn't Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff. And, um, you know, I thought it would just be one of those jobs where I'm like in the barracks waiting for the next world. I joined at 17, like I joined the TA at 17 while I finished my studies. Then I went, used that as a backdoor to the regular battalion. My opinions changed a lot in those years, not just because of what I saw on tour, but because I was growing as a man, you know. So my opinions at 28 were a lot different. My opinions about the world were a lot different. And I'm one of these people, I'm, I'm a questioner, which works very well for writing, does not work well for the military. I was going like, right, to say, yeah, 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 we're going to do it this way. Well, why? Because I said so. No, that doesn't work, that doesn't work for me, mate. Like, you, you give me, tell me why. And if it's a good reason, you've got my back in 100%. But if you can't explain to me the reason... I'm not going to fucking, in fact, if anything, I'll try and probably undermine what you're doing. I'm a, uh, I almost said a C word. Let's just say, cause I'm, I'm obtuse, put it that way. Like, um, it was one day, um, that like really kind of sealed it for me. Uh, we've been in a contact, which is basically a firefight. I know uh, some guy being shot through both legs and I ran and, you know, 
got hold of the stretcher and we carry him out and there, you know, his bullets cracking around, planes flying around, um, you know, where there's that constant threat that the next step you're going to take is going to be the last one if you step on an IED. And like, it was physically the hardest thing I'd ever do. Like you could feel the air scorching your lungs. It's that hot, you're breathing that deep. And we got him out and he was all right and everything. And I thought we had this like little makeshift gym in the, in the camp. And I thought, right, I need to blow off a bit of steam now. So I start lifting some weights. Someone comes over to me and tells me I need to get a haircut. And I'm like, all right, I'll get a haircut once I finish this. It ended up being this massive thing. I got screamed at for not getting a haircut. I was like, hang on, 30 minutes ago, I was carrying a bloke who just got shot through the legs as we're getting shot at. And now my head is the end of the world. I thought, fuck this place. I am done. And that was, the, that was for me the moment when I was just like, I'm, I'm done after this. Wow. It's frustrating to hear that happens. And it makes me frustrated now, mate. I want to punch yeah, someone. <laughs> yeah. Because there's zero comparison here, but I, it's probably why I'm not teaching anymore and like not in a kind of a institutionalized kind of thing. When you get people back, you, think I've got, you know, like Jobsworth, who are just yeah, going to come in at people like that and no common sense. I mean, in that scenario, that is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I want to punch is, that well, guy. Mate, the thing is, where, as well, mate, as far as like mental health goes, what like, there's a reason, like, one, one of the things where people work out is it's a stress reliever. I might have really needed to be working out right then to burn through, like, what just happened. That was yeah. my stress release, right? That was because I haven't got to fire my weapon because I was carrying the guy. That was my stress release. Like, so from a leadership point of view, they'd be like, right, you know what? He's a good bloke. He always does. He's always, like a vol he's always volunteering. He's a good bloke. He's, let's just leave him alone for a couple hours, and we'll bring it up tomorrow. Get, ask him to get a haircut tomorrow. You know? No shouting and swearing at someone I'm thinking like <sighs> fuck this place um, and then and to be honest mate that's why like a lot of people leave the army it's one of the reasons they have such a problem with retention is because they treat you like kids now a lot of people there do need treat you like kids I yeah. should just say that but there's no meeting people in the middle and, and then that's why so many people leave but there's very few there's not that many veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan still serving in the army at this moment mm. because so many people have just said this is bollocks and, and left because yeah. there's, there's so much more opportunity. So we, we all know now, thanks to the internet and stuff, it used to be that they'd be like, oh, there's nothing out there for you. Or you can just go on your phone now and have a look at jobs and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, you know like, what, you're full of shit. There's a lot of stuff out there. I'm <laughs> off, bye. But they used to actively try and put us off. Like where we queued up to get food um, to, go, to go in the canteen was a big board about people getting laid off jobs and stuff like that. They'd try and scare you into staying in. But anyway, I'd still join the army. I just, I'll say that, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, they, they were cockbags about a lot of stuff. <laughs> Like, you got two choices, basically. You can try and go down the special forces route, or you can leave. And I was so jaded that it's one of my yeah. only regrets. It's my, to be honest, mate, it's one of my I don't have, I fucking hate it when people say they have no regrets. If you have no regrets, I don't think you've been human. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, like, so I, I, made, I hated it so much that I left. And now I wish that I'd stayed on and tried to go the special forces route. But Cella V, one example yeah. of like every day there was something like that. Every yeah. day. Yeah. Um, every, every day, like, you know, I'd be looking for an IED. And I, I'd be looking for an ID and I'd be chastised because some, something minor. I'm like, look, mate, I'm poking around in the dirty and I get blown a fucking bit every minute. Fuck off with your, <laughs> with your butt, you know. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's good though because I use that stuff now as, um, I, use that, I use that stuff now. I like to ask the why and things and like, you know, because I mean, I, I can be guilty of it too. I'm looking at employ, you know, start employing people and I want to make sure that I'm not doing that kind of, yeah. like, doing that kind of stuff. And, um, and as far as the regret goes, you know, I use that now. I'm thinking like, I don't want to be, you know, when I look back on my military career, I have some regrets about things that I didn't do. So now I like doing that. Like right now I'm listening to some audio book by a guy that was in the American Delta Force and 
and I've, he's done some things that I never got to do because I didn't like I didn't pursue that avenue. So now when it comes to writing things, I'm like, right, I want to leave no stone unturned on this because I don't want to be looking back in 20 years on that and going, right, I should have done this, I should have done that, I should have tried this. So now it's just like balls to the wall. In your sort of military career, what what was the toughest scenario situation where you really felt like you had to awaken your alpha it doesn't have to be you know the most adverse situation or just a time when you struggled the most the struggle the most was coming home man yeah I, I was fucking good in combat like i was never never hesitated it was the awakening the inner alphabet would be getting over ptsd when i came back that that's when i had to do it being i know this sounds mad being in combat i didn't find it that hard really enjoyed it like now, I still, I know it sounds really weird because I used to think there was quite a lot of days where I'd be like, oh, I'm probably going to get blown apart today because sometimes you just get a really bad feeling about it. You're like, oh, there's going to be an IED here. We're fine. Yeah. But like the times, you know, I did hit an IED once and that was like, just you're in the moment, you just deal with it. It's not a problem. But like afterwards, when I was home and I lost my purpose because I'd always wanted to be a soldier and I'd been a soldier. Yeah. It hadn't worked out as I expected. It wasn't what I thought. It was like, like you said, it was like working in a big organization or something. But at the same, on top of that, you got the threat of getting killed. Um, so I just, I was just in my early thirties, just like, well, what the fuck is left now? What's the point? What, what's the point in anything? I've done what I wanted to do. It wasn't really what I thought it would be. Um, I was like, I was spending a lot of time going out to LA. I had like, I was staying by the beach. I had a lot of lovely ladies interested in me and i'm like i'm not enjoying any of this so if mm. i'm not enjoying this and if i haven't done what i've enjoyed already what is the point of me being around might as well fucking just um index myself as we say in the military and just you know finish myself off uh, in a non-sexual way <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so i was i was just like yeah i was, I was just seriously it was only because i've got a good family that i didn't do it because it wasn't like i because I, I wasn't stupid i was like well it's just gonna pass it on to everyone else if i do myself in yeah. So, um, I, did, I, so it, it was just, if I, I put it like this, if I'd have had a switch and I could have just flicked it and no one had ever known I ever existed and no one being in any pain, I would have flicked it. Um, luckily didn't have that switch. Yes. Yeah. Now I'd be fucking gutted because yeah. I'm, I'm fucking loving my life now. Um, and I have been for the last couple of years, but yeah, it was, um, I didn't know how to deal with it. And it was back in the day of nobody talks about like when I, when I joined the military, mate, if you talked about mental health, you were a fucking coward and you would just be chastised and you would be driven out. Like that was, that was what it was. So it was literally, I felt that it was better to die than to admit that I had, was struggling with mental health. Most people of my generation in the military will tell you the same thing. We'd rather be dead. We'd, well, that's how we felt then. We'd rather have been dead than have someone, than have someone think like that way of us. So it was getting over that, mate. Getting over that, asking for help. There you go. There was a long-winded answer of saying, no, it was a, asking, it was a, help. Yeah, asking, for, asking for help was the moment where I had to awaken my inner alpha. And then from there, everything got better. Yeah. I, uh, I relate to that because I, I struggled and it was because I didn't want to admit anything. I was in denial personally as well. And yeah, I didn't want to be a burden on anyone. And by, and by not wanting to be a burden, you become the world's biggest burden. Oh. <laughs> like that, that's the irony of the whole thing. Because it's like, everyone, people aren't stupid. They know everything's going bad. But yeah. then when they try and help you, you're like, there's nothing yeah. wrong with me. So it's I'm like, good. yeah, by not wanting to be a burden, you become a burden. By speaking, here's the other thing people forget. Like, Because I have people come to me now. Selfishly, it makes you feel really good when someone comes to you and gives you a message. Because you're like, wow, this person trusts me. This is amazing. So it's not even like, people aren't going, oh, 
you, well, you fuck off, like you're a burden. Like it, it's a win round, it's a win all round for people. They feel good that you've come to them. Yeah. You feel good that you've come to them. Everyone, everyone's a winner. Um, but things are definitely changing. Things are moving in the in the right direction. Like in the last, for, compared to tw- two thousand when I first like signed up, there's a huge like you can't. It's not even the same planet. Um, and then even the last five years, there's been a massive, uh, massive difference in the military. We just need to be careful that we don't swing too way, too far the other way, and try to. Because like I'm, I like the military needs to be tough. Yeah, it needs to be tough because war's tough, and war always will be tough. Um, so it's like it's trying to basically kind of like mentally prepare yourself through samurai shit, as I like to think of it. You know, oh. meditation, meditation, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Get your samurai on. Um, Love it. But yeah, there's no like it doesn't mean it. There's it. Some people have confused treating people's mental health with being soft. It's not the same thing whatsoever. You know, you gotta train your mind, have discipline for your mind, like, and you do that by a harsh training regimen, the same as you do for your body. You know, you don't improve your body through taking it easy on it. You don't improve your mind through taking it easy on it. Either. You need to put it need to put it in stressful situations. Um, then you need to give it the old foam roller equivalent. You know, which is through through therapy and talking and and all that kind of good practice. Awesome. And I cannot get through this interview without asking and digging into, because we kind of got up to the point where, you know, you're, you're out um, and you, you know, you're looking for help and pirates. People always think of pirates as something that is kind of medieval or happened a long time ago, but talk to us about getting into, you know, becoming a best-selling author and working on the ships. Would you class yourself as a contractor then as a mercenary then or protection? What do they, what do they call it? Well, you call it a contractor, but you are a mercenary. Yeah, like anyone, anyone who picks up a gun for money, which isn't part of a... That's what I thought. I, but, yeah. I didn't want to offend any, anyone. Any, any, anyone who picks up a gun for money, which isn't part of like a state, and it's not like the state sanctioned, like, well, I say state sanctioned, but it's not part of the state's police forces or thing. You're, you're a mercenary. Like, that's what you is. But it's called contractor because it sounds softer. Yes. Like, it's the, it's the power I've got of a word. contract this month. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's, it's the power of words. Yeah, because basically when you boil it down to your contract is to put a bullet in someone's face, if you have to, you're a fucking contract. I'm uh, sorry, yeah. you're a mercenary. Your contract is to be a mercenary. But yeah, it's like, you know, it's like anything, dude. It's branding. It is like that industry did a great job of rebranding itself. Um, imagine if in Iraq, they were like, oh, we've got 50,000 mercenaries here. That sounds a lot different to, we have 50,000 private really contractors. Bad. Yeah, yeah. No, there you go, dude. It's, it's fucking spin. Because when so, they say um, contracts as well, you think, oh, are they like, are they like doing the electrics, like working exactly. on some industrial stuff, putting in the infrastructure? Yeah maybe there's that we've got a variety of, yeah, what, those of contractors yeah <laughs> but yeah so like a little fact for people basically america were looking at having to reinstitute the draft for uh for iraq but were during the surge but um they wow. so they, but they 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 got around that by just basically using private contractors from all different parts of the world so it was Bloody like a, hell i didn't know that yeah, there was more merc- there was more mercenaries in iraq than there was um american soldiers and it was basically a private army yeah Jesus. big old people that's not a conspiracy theory either. It's just, it's all out there. You can just yeah. Google it and have a look now. I've just Googled private, private contractor figure, um, numbers and stuff in Iraq. And it's still, still a huge thing now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so basically I, I did, uh, I worked in a gym for a little bit when I got out uh, and then the gym closed on my birthday, bastards. And um, <laughs> well, I bumped into a friend of mine in town who was, um, he, he was working on the ships doing it. So I just gave him a call. And um, yeah, a couple of weeks later, I was out on a ship with a few other lads, a few other ex-squadies, a few boxes of guns. Was that, or did that ever feel like kind of you, you being there was enough of a threat in terms of yeah. not babysitting, but you were just like, mm-hmm. oh, we're not going to mess that ship. Look at them guys. Look at the guns. You know, whether yeah, they like, saw so, it or not. Yeah. You're in the middle of the ocean. Most, like, so most of the time you're in the middle of the ocean. 
So it's very easy to see things coming if you pay attention. I mean, they'll try and use tricks like coming out the rising sun and all that kind of stuff. But really, you can see them. And they know that you're up on the high ground, essentially, because, you know, you're up in the towers of this ship. And they're going to get, they're going to lose some people to get on the ship. It's not worth it. There's a lot of ships. Move along to the next one that doesn't have uh, people on. So I was never attacked. I have friends that they did on an armed one. So when you went as an, an armed contractor, your job was to basically harden the ship, um, you know, by using what you'd learned from the military to try and like basically do home alone shit and make this like, <laughs> make, like have your paint pots, have your paint pots on pieces of rope. Um, but that's kind of what that was all about. Um, but they did get attacked. You know, one of my friends, I think they got RPG'd like seven times or something. And the pirates actually got on the ship before the Dutch special forces came. Um, but yeah, so that was that. Was that, Is that but, when uh, you started writing books or did you write them started writing, in the military? I started writing screenplays. No, I, I didn't. Like that was the, that, it was that job where I started writing. And I started by writing, oh, excuse me, started by writing screenplays. And, um, you know, I had a couple of books, like how to write a screenplay and that kind of thing. I think Save the Cat was one of them. And I started, started writing screenplays um, and actually figured out I was pretty good at it. Like I got to, I went out to LA, I met some people in the industry, I showed them, they were like, oh, you can actually do this. Um, but what I hadn't bet on was how hard it is to get in there without having a network from like you went to this and that school's film school or your dad's a producer or something like that. It doesn't mean it can't be done, but as a Brit, like a lot of the people gain entry. If you don't have the network, usually the way to gain entry is to become a staff writer. And I got put forward for some staff writer jobs, but then people would be like, well, we can hire this British guy who needs to get a visa and all that stuff, or we could just hire this America. So it was just, it was, it was just a non-starter. Um, I did almost get, like one of them started to, I did start to get traction on a pilot I wrote, but then after six months, they were like, actually we're going to go in a different direction. So I lost that. And I thought, fuck, I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. So um, I thought, you know what? If I write a book, it probably was not going to sell for as much money, but at least I can get, if I write a book, I can always fucking sell. I can always self-publish it. We'll see the light of day. Yeah. I've just, I've just done it now. I've just done. That's important. Yeah. Um, I've had like publishers um in and are in and can you change this and can you change that over a book? I just wrote, I thought, you know what? Fuck it. Kickstart campaign, launch myself. Yeah. So I'm um, just doing that. I mean, by hopefully by the end of this afternoon, I'll, that, like I launched it on Saturday. Should have the funds for that today, which is where we are on Wednesday. So that's been Oh, send me the link awesome. after the interview. I'll go check that out oh, as well. Oh, excuse um, me. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of your books, I mean, you're listed on as an author as well, but you're, you know, you're listed on Penguin. You're fully mm. legit. And like, you've got um, your books, Ambush, Siege. Which one was the first one? I know the, the so, Ambush was previously titled so under the, the Blood Forest. And I like Ambush right. better, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Ambush is, is, Ambush is a much better marketable name, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the first book that I actually wrote was I wrote part of, um, I, I wrote my Afghanistan memoirs up. Um, what, so that's Brothers in Arms. That's, that'll be out in June. Um, well, it came out in hardback, the paperback's coming out. But um, what, what I did with that was, like, I, I wrote that first, but I used that as my kind of like my ticket into the industry. Yeah. Because at the time, they, people weren't really buying up those books. Um, so that got me a meeting with Penguin, and then I sat, sat down with Penguin, and they were like, well, we love, we love how you write. It's not the right time for memoirs for about Afghanistan what else would you like to write? And I was like, well, I'd like to write about the Roman legions. So that's how like ambush came out of that. But then, you know, with penguin, the third one in that series legion, I self published because penguin made me an offer for it. And I thought, well, so one of my friends, he's a, a DJ and producer 
And he was telling me about how he'd worked it out that if like the advances he was getting from a record label, if he'd have just self like put out his album himself, he'd have already made his money back. Plus over the next like fucking 20 years, he'd be making so much more money. Yeah. And I thought what they're offering me isn't going to change my life. Yeah. Why not just take a punt and self-publish? So now I'm kind of looking at doing, I'm self, this, a lost in the fire will be my second self-published book. Um, and I'm kind of looking at just like doing a couple of self-published and yeah. a couple of commercial that's, ones every year. That's the year. route I'm looking to go down as well. But I mean, it, especially for you in your position, someone who's already got that credibility of being published with Penguin, you know, because that's, yeah. that's an awesome thing. But I suppose once you've done that, like you say, going on to the next books, you've got that credibility. You're not going to lose that. That's and right. now you can like, you know, self-publish. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I've done, I've done books with Penguin, uh, Penguin, Random House and Pam McMillan, which are, you know, three of the, the big ones. Um, and I do think it was important to get that legitimacy first. Oh, 100%. The other thing, the other thing as well is there is like, there is a, like, there's a, it's good to take a book to a publisher. And if they tell you it's not worth doing, you then have to look at it and go, right, well, why is it not worth doing? Mm. Is it not worth doing because the book is a pile of shit? Or maybe is it just that the market's right? Not, not right now. Like, cause one of the things I get a lot is people want me to have like, it's like, can you make this character X special forces or something like that? as much as I enjoy talking about the military right now, and I got brothers and arms coming out this year, I'm hopefully going to be writing for another 34 years. I won't be fucking writing about the military for the rest of my life. The military was a part of my life and I wanted to be moving away from it gradually. You know, one day, one day I'd hope, who knows, maybe none of my books will have anything to do with the military in them. Um, and I thought, I thought I need to, I like, I, I also like the idea to be honest, that when someone says something isn't, someone says something isn't going to work, kind of like the idea of just being like, fuck you, I'll make it work. And there come back and sell it to you for like 10 times what you originally would have paid so <laughs> um there's a bit of like that competitive thing in there as well i've had it happen to me over like my short career a couple of times that i've said i think that we should do a book about this being told no people don't buy those kind of books two years later a book goes fucking huge yeah like there was so i'm like you know what i'm just gonna back myself and if it goes badly i'm out well i'm not even out because i'm doing the kickstarter to launch it so the only thing I'm out is nothing. It's just a bit of time. And I, I'm, if I enjoy writing, then I'm not out of time because it was good fun doing it. When it comes to your books, I'm curious to ask, what's kind of like one of your proudest moments? I mean, I see on there, like, Mail on Sunday saying a bloody page turner. And I, just having the Mail on Sunday look at my books or say anything you know, reasonably positive, I'll be well happy with that. I mean, what is a point where you're like, damn, that, was, I'm, I'm, that's, that means something to me? Um, well, there's two of them. So one of the moments was, um, I went down to London with my mum. So I had two books come out. Um, I had two books come out at the same time. One, of the, one that I'd written with James Patterson and one that I'd written with the major Adam Jarrett called No Way Out. And I went down to London with my mum and dude, it, I couldn't believe how this happened. Sometimes I swear we do live in virtual reality, right? So I went down, got to get into Euston, uh, train station, the door opens on the train and we are looking straight at a six foot poster of the book. Um, on the platform no. in Houston. I was like, wow. And my mom Whoa. was just like, and I think that was the kind of moment my mom was like, oh, so you can actually write. <laughs> Jeez, uh, so, and then they were on the subway or the, the tube, you know, they were on the tube then, passing them on the tube. And then we went to, um, we went to the launch of the other book. And then there was a moment where we went to, it was about a year ago, there was like 40 books in Tesco and three of them were mine. Um, and that was, that, that was really cool, but that was cool for me because that's a mile down the road from the school and in school, they told me to stop writing war stories. And then I'm like, right, well, I've got three books up the road from you. 
Uh, and the other moment was really cool was when the Brothers in Arms came out in Harbach last year. I promised the boys, because it's a story about my group of mates in Afghanistan, but I'm the one that got paid the advance. So yeah. I promised the boys that when it came out, I was like, I'll get us an Airbnb in London and we will get fucking shit based for the weekend. <laughs> so we were doing that and they, just as good timing would happen, the, um, the Times, uh, Times Magazine did an article on it. So um, uh, it was like in the morning, we were shit faced and we went, we walked to the garage and picked up some copies of that and it was with the boys. Um, so that was like, that was, that was pretty fucking awesome. I'm so glad I asked that question. I could have missed that. <laughs> I think these are a few benefits as well for going with well-known publishers because when you're self-publishing, it's quite hard to get your <laughs> random... You're not having your, a moment like that. No, you, your no. poster on the tube in front of your mum as well. That is priceless. The, the constant, I was going to say the constant in those moments as well, mate, was that it was shared moments. It was moments with my mum and there was one moments with my mates. Yeah. Um, you know, so those, that, that, that's the kind Talk of, about, yeah, making it feel legit as well. That's wow. Yeah. And I mean, James Patterson, how did you connect with him or get into that? You know, cause that is, I was, that's for my agent. Yeah. I was going to say, and he's, his, um, obviously his books have been made into movies. Yeah. Yeah. Basically my agent put us together. <laughs> You've got a very good agent. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, I do. Yeah. She's dope. Well, we're just going to wrap this up. I know we've run a bit, but it's been such a good interview. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, me too. Gonna wrap this up with the alpha round. So, Ooh. What is a, yep, there we go. What Ready, is a pump particular on <laughs> quote that really kind of sums up your approach to life um, or just an all-time favorite quote for you? I do like, I like that rough men stand ready in the night to visit violence on those who would do us harm. I like that one because it makes me want to kick in the door and shoot someone in the face. Um, but when <laughs> do you know who said I, that one? I'll find it, but that's awesome. So I think some people attribute it to Hemingway, yeah. um, um, but I'm not sure if it was him or not. But yeah. um, I, um, the other one is... Um, I thought, so this one is a lot more applicable to civilian life. <laughs> uh, so I like the one, I like, so actually I like, there's, actually I'm going to give a few. There's one of them I always used to use in Iraq was, if not me, then who? So it's like, if someone needs to go forward and look for the bomb, if it's not me, then who's it going to be? So I like that one. But now I've turned that into, well, someone needs to be a bestseller. If not me, then who? You know, like, why not me? Yeah. Um, and the other one I like is, uh, I think I heard Gabby Reese say this one was, uh, be the first. I think that's Gabby Reese. And uh, I like that, like for, you know, you're walking, walking along, uh, if you're walking along, you pass someone on the street, be the first to say hello. Uh, if someone's looking for the volunteer, be the first to volunteer. If so, if there's a piece of like, if there's trash, be the first to pick up the trash, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I really like that one. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, and obviously excluding your books, cause we're having them in the show notes and they're awesome, but what is an all time impactful book for you? So uh, looking at it, you might think, yeah, it's an all right book, but you read it at the right time. It just is what you needed to hear. Literally think it's around here somewhere, mate. If you bear with me once. <laughs> and for those on the audio, as an author should be sitting in front of a uh, you know a bookcase, looking good. Stephen Pressfield, the Afghan campaign. Um, it's about Alexander the Great's oh. campaign. So basically, uh, Alexander the Great's the only person who's ever really conquered Afghanistan. He did three thousand years ago or so by just killing everyone. <laughs> and um, I read it. Um, I read that before I went, and I read it when I came back one of my favorite books it's just wow. it's so good it just absolutely nails the relationship of soldiers and it really afghanistan hadn't changed much mate i know yeah. that book so i was just yeah i love that book the afghan wow i've never had that one recommended it um, does cross over a bit a, a yes. bit like you're potentially going to do or are doing i that's you know I, I would be lying if i said it wasn't like a a, a role model i can see that you know oh, in God. terms of where you guys well, are they, so what you're saying is i'm stephen pressfield i'll take that i think on your bio and you can you can attribute this quote to me so you don't sound like you're calling yourself it the Welsh Stephen Prescott. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. 
what is the best way to connect with you if people want to find out more, you know, continue the conversation, mm -hmm. find your books, what's the best way? Uh, at vet well, Veteran State of Mind is the podcast. So if you just search for Veteran State of Mind, I'll take you to it's vsonpodcast.com or just search Veteran State of Mind. Uh, and for me, um, I don't know if I'll still be on Instagram by the time they do this because they keep banning all my stuff off there, but it's <laughs> at, at GRJ Books on uh, most platforms. And uh, from your network, having gone through this interview, who do you think would make a, a really good interview for Awaken Your Alpha and bring some value? Stephen Pressfield. I'm in, I'm in comms with him. Are you serious? We, yeah, we chat. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Have you had him on your podcast? No, he's uh, hopefully ended June. Okay. I'll kind of uh, <laughs> I'll follow your lead on that one. Yes, please. What a great recommendation. Uh, a second one from a network. I got Dean Stott for you as well. Special boat service guy who um, cycled the length of the Pan American Highway, which is from the tip of, uh, sorry, the bottom tip of Argentina to the top of Alaska in 99 days. So I think, uh, I think he'd be a good one. He'd, yes. he'd be a good one too. He must have been busted to try and get under 100 days towards the end. <laughs> he did. He, he had to make it back in time for, uh, he's a mate of Prince Harry, so he had to make it back for the wedding. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah. man. The story just gets better. That is awesome. Yeah, mate, he's, he's, he's a legend. So definitely. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, right, mate. Cheers for having us on and thanks for everybody listening. Appreciate it. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Live limitless. This podcast is brought to you by the Talk Accelerator, helping thought leaders increase influence, income, and impact by achieving their talk. How to secure and smash your own TEDx talk. If you'd like to find out more about how you can get onto the red spot, please do head over to talkaccelerator.com. That's talk X C E L E R A T O R.com.